Hey everyone and welcome back to You Say You Want a Revolutionary. A little housekeeping here, if you're listening in on iTunes or whatever that new app is for Apple, I don't know, take a second and give a little review and a rating. It's nice to get some feedback, either constructive criticism or show suggestions or, let's be honest, just flat out praise. Just effusive praise is pretty cool too. So take a second, give us a few stars or whatever. It won't take much time. Hit like or subscribe if you're using some other app. Because uh, it seems like nothing, but you know how technology is. It's all about the goddamn algorithm. And anytime you hit like, it makes it more likely I'll be found in some other search um, that somebody's looking on in the future. So I'd really appreciate that. Also, a shout out to San Francisco. On my podcasting platform, I can see cities that are consistently listening in. So the beautiful foggy city by the bay is always up there for some reason that I don't understand. I don't know how they necessarily found me here. So from the cold Canadian north, I give you a thanks. It was minus 25 degrees last night, and I think over the last 24 hours we got about 20 centimeters of snow. I have literally shoveled the driveway four times today, and then the street plow came in and plowed us in again. So so after this recording, I'm going to go and shovel the driveway one more time. Hooray! Isn't that fun? And actually, a big thanks to anybody that tuned in. I have Listeners now, not just in Canada, the United States, but the UK, Japan, Ireland, Sweden, France, India, Australia, Turkey, Norway, a bunch of others. So no matter where you are, a big thank you. It's kind of cool. I never really thought that anyone would listen into this, and it's cool that people have. Um, Pass it around. A little word of mouth, I guess, never hurt anybody. And now on to this show. When most people think of the Black Panthers, they just remember the iconic images. They get these youthful black men dressed in leather jackets, looking badass, maybe a beret, usually a gun, uh, a long gun, usually of some kind. They're not trying to hide it. Uh, This is a gun and they want everybody to know it. But who are these guys? Well, it all started with a guy named Huey. Named after Huey Long, the sort of socialist, sort of populist, sort of completely corrupt governor of Louisiana, Huey P. Newton was born in 1942 in Louisiana and then moved pretty quickly when he was a baby still to Oakland, California. They were a tight family, but they were broke. He had difficulty in school. He had a difficult time. And he, growing up, he didn't really see anything being taught as particularly relevant to his experience. Uh, history class was the history of white Europeans and white Americans, the standard Columbus discovered North America stuff. And these are you know, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, and these are why they're so great, the standard kind of narrative. In English class, you get the standard narrative that Shakespeare is the greatest writer ever, plus all these other European writers. He had been suspended numerous times for behavioral issues, and by the time he was getting towards the end of high school, he was pretty much done with the whole thing, and he admitted that he was basically functionally illiterate. Now, after graduation, he... uh, pretty much decided that he was going to turn his life around and taught himself how to read. Despite having run-ins with the law as a teen, he began to take his education pretty seriously, and he was inspired by his older brother named Melvin, who eventually went on, Melvin did, to earn a master's in social work. Years later, uh, Huey Newton himself is going to earn himself a PhD. While he's at college, he goes to Merritt College, he meets another young man by the name of Bobby Seale. The two are briefly involved in political groups, 
They uh, initially lobbied the school to offer the first ever black history course, and then they set out to create a political group of their own. In 1966, they founded a group called the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. Now remember, this is, this is 1966. This is three years after the famous Martin Luther King I Have a Dream speech. It's over a decade after the uh, Montgomery bus boycott. And many black people in urban American cities were tired. They were tired of a lot of talk that they were getting, and in their eyes, they weren't getting much else. Police were still running young black men into jail. There were still beatings. There's still rampant institutional racism, and nothing much for a lot of people had changed. A famous photograph shows Newton, the group's minister of defense, holding a gun in one hand and a spear in the other. And it's pretty clear. This group is not going to mouth platitudes, and they're not going to turn the other cheek. They mean business. The big problem, they felt, was that black people needed to protect themselves from the police, from a government that didn't give a shit about them. Remember the, uh, the George Bush doesn't care about black people? Remember that Kanye moment? Well, what the Panthers are saying is that Uncle Sam doesn't care about black people, and that he never has. It turns out that Huey Newton is actually pretty good at organizing this group. They put out a position, their position in a paper called the 10-Point Program pretty quickly, which called for improvements in housing and wages and education and, and a full military exemption from the Vietnam conflict. To make their point and to, to gain some public attention, they show up at the California Legislative Assembly fully armed. Now, here's the 10-point program. I'm just going to read the majority of it to you. I can't really sum it up better than, than he wrote it, so why bother trying? Right? Again, these are not my words. This is the, the Black Panther Party 10-point program. Number one, we want freedom. We want power to determine the destiny of our black and oppressed communities. We believe that black and oppressed people will not be free until we are able to determine our destinies in our own communities ourselves by fully controlling all the institutions which exist in our communities. Number two, we want full employment for our people. We believe that the federal government is responsible and obligated to give every person employment or a guaranteed income. We believe that if the American businessman will not give full employment, then the technology and the means of production should be taken from the businessmen and placed in the community so that the people of the community can organize and employ all of its people and give a high standard of living. Number three, we want an end to the robbery by the capitalists of our black and oppressed communities. We believe that this racist government has robbed us, and now we are demanding the overdue debt of 40 acres and two mules. 40 acres and two mules were promised 100 years ago as restitution for slave labor and mass murder of black people. We will accept the payment in currency, which will be distributed to our many communities. The American racist has taken part in the slaughter of our 50 million black people. Therefore, we feel this is a modest demand that we make. 4. We want decent housing, fit for the shelter of human beings. We believe that if the landlords will not give decent housing to our black and oppressed communities, then housing and the land should be made into cooperatives so that the people in our communities, with government aid, can build and make decent housing for the people. Number five, we want decent education for our people that exposes the true nature of this decadent American society. We want education that teaches us our true history and our role in the present-day society. We believe in an educational system that will give to our people a knowledge of the self. If you do not have knowledge of yourself and your position in the society and in the world, then you will have little chance to know anything else. Number six, we want completely free health care for all black and oppressed people. 
We believe that the government must provide free of charge for the people health facilities which will not only treat our illnesses, most of which have come about as a result of our oppression, but which will also develop preventative medical programs to guarantee our future survival. We believe that mass health education and research programs must be developed to give all black and oppressed people access to advanced scientific and medical information so we may provide ourselves with proper medical attention and care. 7. We want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people, other people of color, all oppressed people inside the United States. We believe that the racist and fascist government of the United States uses its domestic enforcement agencies to carry out its program of oppression against black people, other people of color, and poor people inside the United States. We believe it is our right, therefore, to defend ourselves against such armed forces and that all black and oppressed people should be armed for self-defense of our homes and communities against these fascist police forces. Number eight, we want an immediate end to all wars of aggression. We believe that the various conflicts which exist around the world stem directly from the aggressive desire of the United States ruling circle and government to force its domination upon the oppressed people of the world. We believe that if the United States government or its lackeys do not cease these aggressive wars, it is the right of the people to defend themselves by any means necessary against their aggressors. Number nine, we want freedom for all black and oppressed people now held in U.S. federal, state, county, city, and military prisons and jails. We want trials by a jury of peers for all persons charged with so-called crimes under the laws of this country. We believe that the many black and oppressed people now held in United States prisons and jails have not received fair and impartial trials under the racist and fascist judicial system and should be free from incarceration. We believe that the ultimate elimination of all wretched inhumane penal systems because the masses of men and women imprisoned inside the United States are the victims of oppressive conditions, which are the real cause of their imprisonment. Number 10. We want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice, peace, and people's community control of modern technology. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Oof, my goodness, I know that was a long chunk of text, but I think it was really important actually to get to all ten of those points because they are so well summarized. And you can tell by the, the tone and the tenor and the words that were chosen in there that these guys have done their research. One of the first books that Huey Newton said that he read once he had taught himself to read was Plato's Republic. So they know their political philosophy. They know when you find something in there, when they say, like, land and bread, or when they say, by any means necessary, or when they say, 40 acres uh, and two mules, those all have historical meanings. So what are the takeaways from this? Well, it's much more militant than the philosophy of Dr. King. Both Huey Newton and Bobby Seale spoke at length on the influence of Malcolm X on their thoughts and their understanding of the world. It's also not nearly as dismissive of white people as the Nation of Islam was. In fact, number three, if you look at number three there, was changed from white people to capitalists in an acknowledgement that although you know whiteness does have definite advantages in society, not all white people have been actively involved in pushing a racist dogma, although they have benefited from it. The Panthers immediately started to work in community programs. Many would listen to police scanners and show up at arrests to document abuse or to document police malfeasance. Um, 
very similar to the ways that some members of, of Black Lives Matter and other groups will do this today. And like today, Panthers members ultimately clashed with the police several times. Newton himself was arrested the previous year for allegedly killing an Oakland police officer during a traffic stop. He was later convicted of voluntary manslaughter and sentenced to 2 to 15 years in prison, but public pressure became like pretty overwhelming. Free Huey became a popular slogan of the day, and he was freed in 1970 after an appeals process deemed that uh, incorrect deliberation procedures had been implemented during the trial. He continued to uh, emphasize democratic socialism, community involvement, services to the poor. He organized more things like free lunch programs, urban clinics once he was out of jail, but the uh, Black Panthers sort of began to fall apart due to all kinds of factionalism that set in, and later there were uh, lots of allegations that the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover were kind of involved in the whole unraveling of the organization. Uh, Huey Newton and Stokely Carmichael split in 1949, and Eldridge Cleaver split two years after that. So I'm going to take a couple minutes here to discuss one of Huey Newton's philosophies, developed in the 1970s, and it later became the official kind of position of the Black Panther Party, and it's called Revolutionary Intercommunalism probably not very well known by most people out there, but uh, you might know the ideas at least on a number of different uh, topics here by different names. But it's the theoretical understanding that the world that we live in has become completely globalized and the principal contradiction in the world is between the need of the capitalist imperialist ruling class to consolidate global hegemony and, and the fact that because of this, individual nation-states really no longer exist independently. They must fall into line with the existing power structure that's there, or they risk being alienated and attacked by the dominant countries. Newton also argued that with the rise of automation, the global financial system is soon not going to be able to profitably exploit the majority of the working-class people, and that these people will find themselves unemployable, which might sound a lot like what we talked about a couple of pods ago, with uh, Yuval Noah Harari when he talked about the useless class of people. But this class, with nothing to do and little access to the wealth of the world, will become the new revolutionary movement, Huey Newton thought. Uh, around the globe, they'll be demanding through word or, or, or deed access to the wealth that was previously denied to them. Like in a classic dialectic, this desire for more wealth will cause more automation, more automation will lead to a greater inequality uh, in wealth distribution, and this will, uh, this will turn this uh, lumpen proletariat, if you want to use a fancy word, into um, more revolutionary force. And you can see examples of this kind of every day if you just take a look around the world. Small farmers are being pushed off their land so that it can be farmed by giant mega corporations like Cargill or Dole or, or Monsanto. Uh, it doesn't require as many people because farmers can use giant machines. We can see this in the production facilities of like Apple and GE as plant after plant are kind of offshored or automated or moved to a cheaper location and then automated. The example of Amazon, um, the company wants to be fully automated. You'd place your order online, the factory's computers would fill the order, they'd set up the delivery, maybe even eventually drive, uh, drive your order to you in a driverless car to be shipped right to your door or that, you know, flying thing. Uh, where they just fly your stuff to you. Like, people won't just stand on their porch and shoot these drones out of the sky and collect whatever it is. But uh, but think of it. No, no workers to employ, no unions to bother with, no maternity leaves, no sick days, no human beings at all. 
except for a handful of technicians that can keep the computers and the robots functioning. So the end result of all this is going to be the decline of the dominant first world countries that had previously decimated the third world countries through exploitation, Newton says. The majority of the people in the first world countries now find themselves members, uh, will eventually, sorry, find themselves members of this unemployable group of people. Too expensive to employ, too useful to not simply automate their jobs away. What are you going to do with them? Now, in the four decades since Huey Newton announced this theory of, of revolutionary intercommunalism, we've seen almost all of his predictions come to pass, as well as an eightfold increase in the imprisoned population in the United States, the rise of this new slavery of the prison industrial complex. Moreover, wages have remained about the same in, you know, adjusted for inflation since they were in 1970. Corporate profits have soared, but people make pretty much the same amount. The social safety net of social welfare programs has been dramatically cut in many countries around the world in, name of, in the name of austerity. And in many places, it's in danger of totally being eliminated. Like Tupac would later say, quote, Instead of a war on poverty, they've got a war on drugs, so the police can bother me. By the way... In case you didn't already know, that lyric is from the son of the section leader of the Harlem Black Panther Party, Ms. Afina Shakur, who is the mother of Tupac Shakur. In effect, there's a war on the poor within the United States and internationally while the ruling class grabs up the lion's share of wealth and the power for itself and is driven to kind of monopolize and completely take over the fuel and food and water globally and support, subordinate every country to their economic and political domination. And when you look, NATO, uh, NATO has expanded into 200 countries, and close to 150 countries around the world have American military installations within their borders. This isn't just wacky conspiracy theory stuff. Uh, most of these countries have some form of, of integrated military command as well. What Huey Newton is saying, and he was saying this back in 1970, um, the proletarians of today truly have no country. In every country, revolutionary intercommunalism would say, they are the oppressed and the exploited. They are the broken. They have little connection to the global economy, and this is a trend that will increase. You can even see it now um, in how we discuss people. Right? Once upon a time, we called people citizens. Citizens. That conjured up images of ancient Greece and rights and responsibilities, a system where people were involved in their own decision-making. Next, the word changed to taxpayer, and that's how people were described, right? Like, the taxpayers of my region believe that, blah, 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 emphasizing that your role is to pay taxes. But at least there's the concept that you get something when you pay your taxes. Now, the media, corporate structure, politicians, they identify us as what? Consumers. You are the American consumer. You are the North American, the European, the first world consumer. Yep. Yeah, your proper role is to just consume things. Don't think about your rights or a social contract. Just spend your money and shut up. Right? That is your only connection to the larger world. Or at least, these politicians would hope that it's your only connection. Now, by mid-decade in the 1970s, Newton faced more criminal charges when he was accused of murdering a 17-year-old. Uh, to avoid prosecution, he fled to Cuba. But he returned to the United States three years later. The murder case was eventually dismissed after two trials ended with deadlocked juries. Um, he always claimed that he was innocent, and many have questioned whether the FBI was involved. By this time, he had 
purportedly developed a pretty difficult addiction to cocaine and the addiction just became worse as crack permeated the streets of like every American city. A victim of purported drug-related violence, Dr. Huey Newton was found laying in a pool of blood, shot numerous times, surrounded by broken concrete sidewalks and abandoned buildings with smashed in windows. He was only 47 years old. So what's the point? As Tom Watts writes, quote, Our world is made up of communities in which we live, under the oppression of a growing police state. It is a world where day-to-day, week-to-week, and month-to-month, survival is a constant struggle. Even those lucky enough to have jobs live paycheck to paycheck, with bills to pay every month and less to pay them with. We can communicate instantly around the world, although Big Brother is listening, but everywhere we have no voice in the matters that determine our very existence. We share a common culture and economic life. We wear the same clothes and we shop for the same things. We can get on a jet plane and fly anywhere in the world in a few hours, but everywhere we are under the same exploitative empire. What Newton and Watts are trying to say, I believe, is that we have more in common with each other than we've ever realized. Whether you're a member of the black community, the gay community, the rural poor, the white working class, these are all artificial titles created to divide us and to keep people from seeing that what is actually happening around the world, that you are being made irrelevant to the economic system and voiceless in the political system. Revolutionary intercommunalism promotes solidarity between communities and a culture of resistance to all oppression. In opposition to the war on the poor, it promotes strategies for survival, for mutual assistance. On an individual basis, start a soup kitchen, start an education program, start a free community garden, take a strip of unused land and plant a vegetable patch, give away the vegetables to people that are hungry, buy as little as possible from the system, and don't participate in a system where the end goal is to take all of your labor, all of your money, all of your assets, and give you nothing in return. The goal of revolutionary intercommunalism described by Huey Newton is to overthrow capitalist imperialism and create a world communism, a classless, stateless, egalitarian society, a world without any poverty, without any war, where everyone has an equal right to access the fruits of our common labor, a world where people of all colors can live in equality and freedom. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Watch out,